ignorant in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast. Welcome, welcome to it. It's Tuesday, one day after Christmas. Hope everybody had a fantastic holiday weekend. Spent some time with the family, spent some time at church, did all, all the goodies, uh, made sure that uh, Santa Claus came to town. Kids were happy. We had a good day, uh, but we're ready to get back to it. I know we're sort of in the lull week between Christmas and New Year's, but the AMRADs will not be resting for you folks. We will be continuing to bring you great contact on Rumble, uh, on, on Spotify, on iTunes, all the above. Make sure that uh, we're, we're keeping you company here as we're in this this holiday season between Christmas and New Year's. And uh, actually, Kwanzaa. Well, I want to make sure that I wish Garrett O'Boyle a happy Kwanzaa as today is the first day of that blessed holiday of communism. How are you doing today, my friend? Happy Kwanzaa. I'm doing well. Happy Kwanzaa to you. <laughs> no, we're we're doing all right. We've, we've uh, contracted more sickness because, you know, four different Christmases to attend, late nights, etc. So all the kids are sick once again, and yay for that. But hey, we get to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, so it's all good. Well, I'm glad to get back sort of into the swing of things. Uh, it's it's always it's always a week that I actually like to get a lot of work done. So this is this is our job now, folks. So I'm happy to to be here and happy to have everybody here with us. If you're following us on Rumble, make sure you actually are following us. Make sure that you're giving us the thumbs up, smash the like button. If you're listening later on on a podcast format, give us the uh, the five star review. Make sure you subscribe so you automatically get that content. Uh, because today we're going to be Coming off of the movie references, I know in the chat earlier I made a Star Wars reference, but I don't know how many more I have in me. <laughs> uh, I think that today we're going to be heavy on the uh, on the the written form. We're going to be we're calling this show the attention seeking behavior. Going to be looking at our former employer, and this this is the type of year where everybody sort of does a retrospective on, on what happened. But the Amrad podcast isn't old enough to do that, so we're <laughs> just going to dunk on those who are doing it improperly. Uh, and I think that there's no better no better uh, source for that than than what the FBI has been doing. If you look at their their social media content that they're putting out, they are really trying to get and gin up a lot of the the positive feedback from the public at large. Uh, but they're running into a challenge here, uh, and that is the fact that they have just thrown their reputation into the dustbin, uh, and it's just going to be hard to pull that out. So before we we look at this most recent hype video that they did as a retrospective into 2023, I think it's worth getting a maybe a lesson on what good public relations is actually intended to do because there are people that do it professionally. You know, you look at media, uh, you look at uh, celebrities, athletes, anybody. They always say there's there's no such thing. If you get your name in the paper, you know that's a good thing. No no such thing as bad publicity. Not necessarily true. But there are experts in the field that know how to spin it the right way. These spin doctors in public relations, uh, which is where we're going to start today, and and maybe see if 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 the FBI needs to get a lesson. And uh, this is going to be uh, from a a British gal, just giving us a brief lesson on what uh, what actual the art of spin in public relations is. We'll start there. I have no idea why public relations people get so upset when people talk about them spinning. 
I think that's exactly what public relations people do. At a conference recently, I was introduced as the mistress of the dark art of spin. I loved it. I have been dining out on it ever since. Spin is exactly what we do. It's the reason why we're useful to our clients. Let's define what spin is, though. Spin is not telling a lie. Spin is not deliberately telling a story which is untrue. Spin is literally saying, instead of looking over there to the right, look over there to the left. Spin is about where you put the focus. So you can tell a story and say that the company has made 50 people redundant, there's no more that could be done, uh, it's most unfortunate, that's it, get on with it, uh, we're negotiating with the unions but these people are gone. Or you could tell a story and say the company, with tremendous regret, must downsize, has to leave 50 people uh, go, and the reason that they're letting 50 people go is because they need to preserve the company and preserve the jobs of the other 150 people working there. That's a spin. You're still saying 50 people are being made redundant, but you're saying look over there and not over there. I think spin is a vital part of public relations and it's what makes us very useful to our clients. We are spinners. We are spinners, the art of misdirection, uh, if you will. I think uh, I think there's there's some value to that, uh, but at the same time, it kind of gives you a little bit of the heebie-jeebies there. You know, that's it, I, I appreciate honesty in its all form. Just do better, as far as I'm concerned, and, and give it, give me the straight dope. If you're going to be laying me off, I don't need to feel good about it. Uh, don't say look left when uh, the, the the actual truth is on the right, uh, which is why I think that she actually let off with what most people feel, and that's they're engaged in the dark arts of spinning. They are just like the FBI and anybody in the intelligence community or government writ large. They are spin doctors, or at least try to be. Well, I want to get into what what the FBI then put out here over the uh, over the holiday weekend. I, I guess I mean, it was December twenty third, so definitely heading into into Christmas. They wanted to put that out there, so it was Saturday weekend. Uh, they I guess the interns they were giving them holiday weekend pay <laughs> to put out uh, a retrospective. And they put this out on their on their Twitter profile, so we we can view the video that they put out. If you read it, it says for those just listening, in 2023, the hashtag FBI faced a growing and evolving threat spectrum. The bureau's employees remained fully focused on working with our partner agencies to carry out the FBI's mission to protect Americans and uphold the Constitution. And then they say you can read more at the link. We'll watch this video. It's about 90 seconds. men and women of the FBI work tirelessly every day to protect the American people from what is really a staggering array of threats. The FBI that I see every single day is an FBI that does the right thing in the right way, with rigor, with professionalism, with objectivity, with skill. To truly appreciate the impact the FBI and our partners are having, you got to look at the cases. I'm proud of the work that the FBI's agents, analysts, and professional staff are doing all over the country and all over the world every single day to rise to those challenges and to protect the American people.
Every day we wake up asking ourselves, what do we need to do to keep people safe today, tomorrow, and the day after? All right. Well, they get their they got their nice nice music going. They threw up a lot of uh, of short clips of people in training exercises, and uh, they're doing the SWAT thing and the evidence collection thing, the science stuff, uh, all the Hollywood treatment there. Uh, and for those just listening, they threw up a lot of facts and figures, which is where I kind of want to start with uh, an after action review of the FBI's hype video for itself for 2023, because it's my contention the FBI really has a a dual conundrum here. They're not giving you the quality work that we would expect from America's premier law enforcement agency. Uh, certainly, they don't—they don't have the big headlines that uh, that we would we would want from our from our FBI. So that's one challenge. Where's the quality? Which is why they lean heavily on the quantity. But just a simple assessment of what the numbers and the facts and figures that they they themselves are attributing to their good work that they've done this year—it just doesn't stand up to to any sort of muster. Uh, they threw out 18,000 arrests that they had in 2023, which on its face, I mean, I, I guess it looks productive. Uh, they're in theory going to be working on the, the most high level investigations out there. Uh, but what people don't realize is the FBI adopts a lot of cases, takes them federally, but they haven't really done any investigative work. Uh, but even if they're not doing that, 18,000 arrests, how many, uh, how many agents are there, Garrett? Uh, about 14,000. Yeah, so 18,000 arrests for 14,000 agents. So that would be 1.3 arrests per, per agent for the entire year. calendar year. How many people did you arrest per year as a cop? Um, if I was not getting 1.3 arrests a week, <laughs> I think that I would have been on some sort of performance plan or yeah. looking for a new line of employment. And then even as an agent, you arrested far more than that average doing the work you did. And I understand that different violations you know, have different quantities. I was not doing the complex financial investigations that uh, like white collar guys were doing. But, but at the same time, 1.3 arrests for a whole year when you're making $130,000, that, that means in salary alone, uh, the FBI is paying you about $100,000 per arrest per agent. Right. And they're the ones who like to you know, manipulate their numbers and their statistics. And it's like, well, if you're going to, if you want to do that, if you want to play that game, if you want to do stats-based policing, which I'm against, I think that's anti-American at its core, but they're the ones who do it. So, okay, we'll play your game. And that's a good point. One point, a hundred, a hundred K per arrest. Like, oh man. You could take it away from the arrest. They, they bragged that they had about 9,100 indictments for the year. Well, their funding is $11 billion. So mm -hmm. that's over a million dollars per indictment. I do find it kind of curious, too, in that video, how they point to things that we all know are are problematic. There was like a, a scene in there and it was a bunch of pills and they're talking about drug seizures and arrests and all that stuff. And I think especially of my time on SWAT because I was on the JTTF, so there wasn't a ton of arrests happening all the time and SWAT were getting called out for drug and gang and, and violent type of offenders. And oftentimes it was the safe streets guys. And, you know, some of the, maybe even, even like talk West uh, squads, which for people who don't know, that's a 
transnational organized crime western hemisphere so that would be like cartels and, and things of that nature so drug related it's all the stuff that you know really regular law enforcement are encountering daily and those squads oftentimes are heavily in my experience at least heavily filled with task force officers who know uh who's operating in the community and they've a lot of them have been cops for a long time and they're the ones you know really pushing a lot of this FBI work, which goes to a point Steve and I both have made and talked about before, is you don't need the FBI to do these things. You can have task force officers who are who are um, sworn in as as U.S. Marshal task force officers and still give them the tool belt that an FBI agent could have. And you can do it without even having the FBI. The FBI would just bring resources to bear, I guess, at that point. They'd bring... The, the technology, uh, maybe a, a whole bunch of manpower if they need to do some sort of evidence collection. But that's certainly my contention. They could be an unarmed agency that would just aid locals. And I could see no better better use for, for them uh, than doing that because the locals actually bring the cases in. It's not like very often that the FBI, somebody walks in and says, here, here's the biggest case in the history of the FBI. Let me just knock on your door, FBI. It, it always filters up from the from the local agency where there was a guy who was selling drugs on the corner and he got popped and then he turned around as a snitch and he and said who's his his seller and then all of a sudden you worked your way up to a cartel and that's something that maybe a, a police department with 40 officers doesn't have the bandwidth to handle so they go hey fbi can you help us out with this uh, but it all started with the locals and so I, th I think it's it's pretty obvious that we can easily debunk the numbers that they put out and and that's even accepting the numbers that they that they put out, which you and I have gone back for now over a year of saying, look, they're juking the, those stats. Those aren't even the legitimate numbers. They're working smarter and not harder. Why open up one case with four bad guys when you can open up four cases with one bad guy? Mm -hmm. Those manipulative games all the time. So even the numbers that they're putting out in their hype video, I, uh, I'm definitely questioning the validity of those numbers. Uh, that's one side of the conundrum. The other side, again, is, is the quality. W where is the big press release from the FBI where they say, look, this huge bust that we have, they're not really getting it these days, which is why they're sort of grasping at straws in order to generate that, which is why I want to lean into that pretty heavily today as we're going to go through, uh, especially in December, as they're trying to take stock of the year that they had, what are they saying that they've done this year qualitatively? And then where Garrett and I feel that they should be addressing, where, where should they be putting the focus um, that might bear fruit, might be something that we could all say, hey, good job, FBI. Uh, but before we do that, I think that uh, we, we should probably highlight somebody that is productive, and that is the O'Boyle Family Sweatshop. <laughs> this family sweatshop at www.the-suspendables.com. Garrett's now in the post-Christmas rush here. Uh, but I think that these are sort of timeless. They're not really stocking stuffers. I, I think that we have a very supportive audience, as evidenced by uh, K9 Heinrich, who is now a new monthly supporter. Garrett, uh, what's what's going on at the sweatshop today after yeah. Christmas? So we we already uh, were were back in business last night. Uh, I went down there to try to catch up with orders that came in a few days before Christmas and and whatnot. So almost all the way caught up. There's three outstanding, and that's mostly because of supply issues on my end that I'll hopefully have rectified by the end of the week. But uh, also K9 Heinrich gave us a rumble rant for 
and he says merry christmas i'm assuming it's a he sorry if i'm assuming your pronouns and you're actually a she but he and she those would be the only two that would be acceptable here anyways but he says merry christmas guys keep up the great work stay strong thanks k9 for the support we appreciate it but yeah back to the the sweatshop man things are things are busy like i see orders be are trickling in every so often there was a mad rush before christmas like between thanksgiving and i don't know a couple weeks there and i was like oh i don't know if i'm gonna be able to keep up so thankfully things have slowed a little bit where it's a manageable pace again but uh but yeah gonna try to get these orders that i did last night out the door and by all means people go buy the merch i saw somebody mention the hoodie that i'm wearing um I would like to have the hoodies stocked better, but may maybe if I'm going to keep a hoodie around, it'll be this one. I got to just figure out some storage issues. The Sherpa one was takes up way too much room, so I won't be bringing that back anytime soon until we uh, move out of the dungeon. Well, if you move to Florida, uh, you're going to be really hard pressed to find space to put sweatshirts because we don't need them. It was 75 <laughs> today. Oh, uh, awesome. uh, all right. So now that the, uh, the promo of the dash is a behind us let's look at some of these these quality press releases that are being put out um, and and read into the fine print as we've done in the past um, get some some reactions on it um, where i want to go actually is to a a press release from uh, the department of justice and this was concerning a, a terrorism um, case that they that they wanted to to tout Brothers sentenced to more than 35 years combined for manufacturing and distributing machine guns intended for ISIS. Uh, right away, I get a little bit nervous when they say machine guns because people writing it <laughs> don't know anything about guns. Mm -hmm. uh, so within this uh, press statement, it says, according to the court documents, June 2018, so five years ago, Dan and Brothers devised a scheme to deliver stolen firearms to a convicted felon who was cooperating with the FBI. Holler, Garrett, if this sounds very familiar to it you. It sounds extremely familiar. <laughs> so between July 2018, December of 2018, the Dannon brothers sold a number of illegally obtained firearms to the cooperating individual. This is an informant. Around the same time period, the Dannon brothers also began to manufacture untraceable ghost guns. So again, we don't know anything about guns. We'll just throw out the spooky sounding titles. By purchasing firearms parts online, assembling those parts into fully functioning 223 caliber semi-automatic rifles, which they sold to an FBI undercover agent. So we oh, had an informant <laughs> and an undercover agent. In late 2018, <laughs> the, the brothers began to manufacture untraceable, fully automatic rifles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, wouldn't you know it, they were introduced to another undercover person at the southwest border and this person said to them very specifically i'm going to be sending these guns to isis mm. so we have two undercovers and an informant pushing these people to uh, manufacture the guns and sell the guns despite learning of the ultimate destination of the weapons the dannon brothers agreed to manufacture and sell at least 55 fully automatic ghost guns to the buyer from the american southwest border believing those weapons would be shipped to the middle east to isis and its members um, this is all still in 2018. So I, I mean, I guess these guys were not, um, were not pl planning an attack imminently because nothing, um, reading further May 15, 2019, Dana brothers manufactured five untraceable fully automatic rifles, uh, 
from the parts that they had purchased online. At this time, the Danner brothers were fully aware that the plan was to send the automatic rifles overseas. So between February and May of 2019, uh, one brother had numerous and extensive conversations with another undercover agent who we believe was a member of ISIS, then fighting in Syria. During those conversations, he expressed his desire to travel from Indiana to an ISIS-controlled area in Syria. In the search following his arrest, FBI agents located a flash drive on a keychain containing approximately 16 gigabytes of ISIS propaganda. So obviously, this guy's not necessarily a uh, objectively good person. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think when you uh, and you, you might, you're free to disagree with me on this, Garrett. Three undercover FBI employees and one informant, and I would think that since it's two brothers, this is obviously going to be an organization, right? It's not going to be a uh, an individual case yeah you there's gotta, gonna be disruptions involved with yeah, that well, yep. what, and the conspiracies <laughs> you worked uh, you work terrorism more than me um your feelings on, uh, on it, yep it's so it's so similar so familiar to what we've seen at least since 9 11 i'm sure we could dig back into the annals of fbi lore and dig up other examples but this is the playbook they, they this is this is what they do and this case, like you said, the guy, you know, he had 16 gigs of ISIS propaganda. Okay. Well, one, in America, that's not illegal to have. That's that's First Amendment protected in this country. You can disagree with it. You cannot like it. You can find it abhorrent. That doesn't make it illegal. It doesn't make it a crime for him to possess. I guarantee you their, um, you know, affidavits were littered with this type of information though about oh look he's radicalized this that okay and yeah maybe maybe they are but also note that there was no plot for them to like i don't know go kill the the lead priest of the church of the town in indiana that they're from they are thinking they're building machine guns to send overseas to isis which also we got to remember how foolish lots of these people are. You think you're talking to somebody who's on the ground in Syria and they need guns from you that you need to build in America and ship them overseas. Like the, the FBI's targets for these cases aren't often uh, the brightest candle in the room. Well, certainly not when you look at the actual calendar. That was 2018, 2019. Isn't that the meme was ISIS became was was? <laughs> in 2016 2017 yeah when we kind of just addressed and bombed them into oblivion and yeah. isis was no longer a, really a, uh, a meaningful organization in the, in the middle east at that point they the caliphate dream had been broken and it just kind of receded away i mean i think there's probably factions over there still but at the same time like this growing movement that we saw in 2014 uh, was not really happening anymore and this is years later so they obviously ISIS is still just a name. It's kind of like the Taliban. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they just threw ISIS out there, the snitch or the undercovers, because they figured those people would just glom on to whatever they could. It's sort of putty in their hands. And also with this case, like you got to think, we don't know from that press release, how long did they have it open though? Because oftentimes on the JTTF side of things, you'll have cases open for years, which at what, you know, I remember early on in, in my career thinking, at what point does this become a due process violation to just have these cases perpetually opened? And as long as you're putting something in the case file every 30 days or 60, I forget, 30 or 60, you're 
you're good to go. And it's like, nah, I'm pretty sure that's not how it's supposed to work in this country. Like you've had this case open for seven years and you've not been able to substantiate if the guy who posted the ISIS flag on his Facebook is actually going to do something to further that ideology. I'm pretty sure this one's probably good to be closed down. And then like in this case, you know, it could have been open for five years. And then in 2018, you know, they had a source who was able to kind of bump these guys and get things moving. That also happens regularly where like, oh, a case that's been open and stagnant finally gets a little movement. You've nailed that last part. Exactly. Because that's sort of like the desperate move at the end where you, you're either going to shut it down or we got to take a take something aggressive to, to push this forward, which is why they lean on the snitch to go and sort of infiltrate and push people and, and bump them. And at the very least, if this was originating in 2018, which fairly high level of confidence it wasn't, this was open on a field office's books for six fiscal years that they were able to claim credit for disrupting a terrorist organization operating within the United States and was guys that were pushed the entire time by either employees or agents of the government to, to do it. I'm, and it's, it's obvious it's the same playbook that we see over and over again that we continue to try to scream and holler about. Um, and uh, we, we lean on people in the, of the political left, like the Trevor Aronson types who have been saying this has been going on for decades. Yep. Uh, and it's just the, the, the vulnerable person might change to a different category of person. Uh, but at the same time, it's the same playbook that works over and over again. It's like the green Bay Packers of the, of the uh, Vince Lombardi era. They ran about six plays and they just <laughs> said, we know what we're doing. Yeah. Try to stop it. We're just really good at that play. Uh, -huh. yeah. <laughs> uh so off of this case, We'll bring up another one, and this one, uh, we're now out of the uh, the terrorism area, but we're going to look at some human trafficking that's going on with transnational organized crime. Uh, you said you talked about talk, but that's that what that acronym means, and especially if it's in the West, uh, talk West is is where all the all the cartel work goes on. Then the FBI, it's sort of the, one of the sexy areas. If you're going to promote, you want to go into talk West, either there or CERG, which is the critical incident group. That's the SWAT area. Uh, that looks good on your resume if you want to promote. And this was a press release from a couple weeks ago. Uh, Molas Manis Transnational Criminal Organization Leadership indicted on charges of human smuggling and drug trafficking. So it sounds pretty bad. It sounds like that's something that you would want the FBI to be looking into. Um, but when the I read through, is in the details always, though, you know, they have this this sexy sounding headline and it's like, oh, yeah, man, they're doing God's work out there. Yes. And, I, then... and then there's there's something actually it's it's back to the the video that we had on the PR spin. It's um, you can omit certain details. You can uh, lie by commission, which is when you make something up, or you can lie by omission, which is when you leave something out. And then you just rely on the person to draw conclusions that you've never actually said. So you have plausible deniability. Um, so there's a there's a significant omission in this this press release here. It says the indictment alleges that these guys who uh, have uh, Hispanic names that are, I will butcher, so I'm just going to skip that, um, that uh, they were members of the Malice Manis Transnational Criminal Organization operating in Santa Cruz areas of Mexico with permission of the Sinaloa cartel. The indictment alleges these individuals operated a human smuggling organization as part of the of the organization, traffic drugs, laundered proceeds of both criminal activities. More specifically, indictment alleges that beginning at an unknown time, so we don't know when it started, but including December of 2020, um, 
check a calendar. That was three years ago. And continuing through November 2021, so this this apparently this ongoing operation was going on for about a year, two years ago, uh, two of the defendants conspired to transport aliens within the United States as part of their organization. The indictment alleges that between January 2019 and August 2023, uh, the defendants conspired to launder the profits of alien smuggling, drug smuggling through a movement of monetary instruments from the United States to the Republic of Mexico. All right, uh, enough sharing there. Uh, did you pick up on a serious omission of detail with this huge indictment of multiple members of a transnational criminal organization that is operating at the southern border of the United States? Uh, based on what we just heard, I'm pretty sure nobody's going to have handcuffs on them ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you've nailed that one, Garrett. They were indicted in a United States grand jury in court, and they are in Mexico. Uh, and I don't think that the Mexican government is going to turn over members of the cartel when the cartels essentially run that government. Mm -hmm. but, but hey, good, uh, good work there, FBI. Good, good job. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's probably using uh, misuse of resources when, when, but it gives you a good, good headline. They indicted members of a Mexican cartel. Uh, and they're relying on you to assume or at least conflate the word indict with arrest mm -hmm. or with convict or with sentence because most people's, their their knowledge of how the criminal justice system works, it starts and ends with watching a few episodes of Law and Order Special Victims Unit, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, it's all done in 45 minutes. Um, also, on the back end, what do they get to do? They can go back into the system. It's all part of IPM that we talk about. And mark it down. Mark it down. We got indictments. You can add that to your, your next 302 that you put in. Like, hey, the judge signed off. AUSA is on board. My my executive management's on board. And everybody gets a big pat on the, on the back from each other. And it's like, okay. And what did you actually accomplish, though? And this, this case has been on the books for five fiscal years. So that's a, a squad. A, I don't know how many agents were involved in that, but that's a, a, I don't know, a safe streets task force or a talk West uh, task force that can claim that they've had this ongoing investigation for five years. And ultimately it, it culminates with these indictments and then they'll have active warrants in the system in America right. forever. Yeah. They'll never um, have to close this case down. Right. And then those guys just don't won't ever come to America. They'll just stay in Mexico where they're safe and protected and rich. Let's move back to the national security sphere. Uh, you your entire time working actively in the bureau was that all national security for you? Yep, it was all JTTF work. Okay, and did you have a specific focus? Were you like a domestic terrorism guy, international terrorism, or were you just the jack of all trades? Initially, I was assigned to IT, that's international terrorism for you folks at home. Uh, and I had an IT case. It was more like a money case uh, with, I mean, honestly, it's again, one of those ones where it's like, is this really, is this dude really associated with the terrorist organization you're saying he is? Or is it just because he's an immigrant from that region and he's been here for over 20 years? But um even though that was like what I was assigned to in my first case of like two weeks later, I got another case and that one was DT. It was abortion related extremism. And 
I pretty much worked primarily DT and then eventually um, I was switched from IT, you know, just for their coding purposes. They're like, hey, you actually work more DT than you do IT. We got this new guy coming in who probably will fit the mold for IT and can take whatever IT stuff that that comes in and you just focus on DT. So we're just going to switch you. So even though I had primarily worked DT, that wasn't until after about two, two or maybe even three years where I was like officially the DT person. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you had some international terrorism because I, my, my very limited role on a joint terrorism task force was specifically to the domestic terrorism side of it. Um, but this is an international terrorism case that uh, the press release I want to bring up here. The Justice Department announces terrorism charges against high-ranking Hezbollah member who helped plan a 1994 bombing in Buenos Aires, Argentina. This came out last week, December 20th. Uh, and if reading through it, it, it appears that uh, he's charged, among other offenses, of conspiring to provide and providing material support to Hezbollah, a designated foreign terrorist organization. Uh, he lives in Lebanon, though. <laughs> and the bombing that he uh, allegedly helped to perpetrate uh, happened in Argentina. 30 years ago. How is this an international terrorism case being investigated by the FBI? Man, this is a, this is a lot of like <laughs> mental gymnastics to figure out how, how they sorted this one out. Um, I'm trying to think in my head, like if I'm the FBI agent on this, how do I, how do I put this into my little, my little box for it? Because one, why not that we don't care what happens in other countries like a, a bombing like that i mean just on a human level obviously that we should care but it's like as a fbi agent why do i care what happened there and then what connections does this guy have to u.s citizens if he's i mean i don't know dude i don't know <laughs> like, this is actually a very long uh press release and it's very heavy on the, the content you would see, I think, in, probably from an Intel analyst write-up that they just provided. And I think probably an Intel analyst decided to dig deep into Hezbollah, uh, identified this guy because he was uh, obviously connected to a significant terrorist attack. Uh, and then from that, it was just derivative. They opened up a case to investigate him one way or another. But it's it's a long press release it gives you a history lesson of hezbollah like i mean back into the 1980s things that it was doing um <laughs> there was the, the, it got heavy into uh, things that were going on in cyprus in the early 2000s i mean it's if you want to do some reading on hezbollah it's it's actually quite informative <laughs> i though can't square this circle here where the fbi investigated person who lives in lebanon for providing material support to an organization that operates outside of our borders uh, and is primarily directing attacks on another country, Israel, and has a criminal history of being involved in a, a terrorist attack in South America. I'm still waiting on the connection to domestic law enforcement, mm -hmm. other than it gives us this really nifty headline where they can say they announced terrorism charges yep. against this guy. There we go. And then I bet you, because I don't know if, if you were privy to this. You probably were. But in the JTTF side of things, it seemed like 
that disruption was what they always were after. And I bet you, oh, you get you get an AUSA to bless off on charges like this, mark it down, mark it down in the system as a disruption, and you'll get that approval from from your um, oh, what were they called back at headquarters? Uh, like your, you know, the person who was the program manager, the program manager. You just got to call the the PM and say, hey, uh, you know that case we talked about one time like earlier this year <laughs> in the 18 months that you've been there before you move yeah. on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I talked to my AUSA and they agreed to charge this guy, even though he lives in Lebanon and the crime happened in Argentina and the organization he's tied to is operating outside of our borders. But he, he agreed the AUSA agreed that we can charge him. So can I get, can I put a disruption down for that? Of course he's going to agree because that helps him too. Yeah. Cause then when he, leaves his TDY and writes in his 954, which for those of you at home, that, that's like your internal resume at the FBI. He can write, while I was the program manager for 18 months of the, you know, whatever IT, you know, unit that he was part of, I, I participated in cases resulting in 79 disruptions or whatever. And it's like, okay, but one, you didn't really, like, that's just another good headline that's a, just another it's the title it's another attention seeking disorder where now you're putting it inside your internal resume and again like the one from the mexican uh cartel this person isn't in handcuffs even this is and, not even an arrest this is a person who's never going to uh, face american justice right and, uh, i think that they just want the headline yeah unless mm -hmm. they get a drone you know Drop they could drone head. strike, but they might kill like 10 innocent children um, yes. like they did in Afghanistan. So mm -hmm. uh, nobody held accountable for that one. That seems like maybe the FBI could have investigated that, maybe. But uh, we'll move on. We'll move off that one. We'll move on to another one, which is dealing with some international intrigue. Uh, and I think uh, we look at three men charged in international bribery and money laundering scheme. Uh, I will actually read an excerpt from this one. Between about March 2015 and continuing until November of 2019, uh, these three guys who one was living in Florida, one was living in Georgia, another one was living in Honduras. Uh, they agreed to bribe Honduran government officials to secure contracts worth $10 million and it was basically providing uniforms to the, to the military. Uh, they took the 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 proceeds, the ill-gotten proceeds, uh, and and got the got the contract, and wound up laundering some of the money through uh, American uh, companies and banks. Uh, here's my problem: this is a Honduras government public corruption problem. Um, I don't know why. Again, the FBI is investigating this and just trying to find any charge they could because they want to say that they have an international public corruption scheme. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they find charges like these, these money laundering charges, which are pretty weak. I mean, it's you're, you're laundering money from uh, actions overseas that don't pertain to fraud against the United States. Um, but we're going to find that so we can get the headline and charge these guys. And, and I think uh, two of them have been charged because they're Americans. The other one's still at large who is the actual connect to the honduras government these are just other guys that are you know in america probably just taking a slice off the the launder scheme and then and then letting them use his uh his shell company 
Yeah, I mean, I think all of these examples, the common thread, well, one, it's stuff happening not here. And two, it really does go to the point of the manufactured statistical um, hoopla that the FBI denies that they do. But that's, I mean, I don't know how many examples you would need for somebody to, 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 to not say, oh, that's anecdotal. I mean, we could literally do this all day. Just by, just by <laughs> the scouring. plural of anecdote is data. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, <laughs> we're compiling the data as we go. I mean, it's, it's just, and it, it does make me wonder, even looking back, at, you know, I didn't have any of these types of cases where like it's somebody overseas that, where we know it there or even not not even necessarily overseas but maybe even just in, in latin america or south america or whatever where like you're working this case like it would make no sense i would go to my boss and be like hey there's no indication this person's ever going to come to america like why why do we have this case open and i'm sure most bosses would say well you gotta have you gotta have cases open and it's like well that is part of the problem there's and there's Here's another story too. And look, we're dealing with things that are terrorism. So it sounds sexy, international intrigue. So it sounds really sexy. Uh, but I think most people really want violent crime addressed stateside. Yeah. Most people in America do. And think again, think back to the video that you played from the FBI's uh, Twitter. What were they focusing on? They were focusing on the things that affect people here, primarily showing the drugs, you know, showing the SWAT guys entering the room or whatever. It's like, an FBI SWAT team isn't going to Lebanon or Honduras or wherever, you know, they're just, they're not, they're, they're here. And yeah. The, the padding isn't even limited though to that. It, it extends into the violent crime, which is how you get another case. Hartford. So Hartford, Connecticut, Hartford man sentenced to federal prison for a gun offense. Uh, and the FBI attributes this. If you scroll down to the bottom of the actual press release, to the great work by its Northern Connecticut Gang Task Force. And that's a part of its Project Safe Neighborhoods, which is the centerpiece of the DOJ's violent crime reduction efforts. So good on us for this. And somebody I'm sure got promoted because they came up with that, that, uh, that Project Safe Neighborhoods and this gang task force. Uh, there's gonna be lots of BOCO funding on it because it's bringing all these different agencies together to address gun, gun violence that's going on uh, in, in Connecticut. But if you actually read, according to the court documents, the statements made in court on April 18th, 2022, after an unidentified shooter who is suspected of being a member of a rival gang opened fire at individuals who were standing in a parking lot outside of a memorial. So another one of their gang buddies got killed and they were standing there and a rival gang came up and did a shooting. So that was in April. Uh, following the shooting, Hartford police obtained a warrant once they identified one of these, uh, one of these subjects in July. So several months later, July 2022, officers encountered the subject standing with others outside of a smoke shop. As they approached, he fled. He attempted to throw a handgun onto the roof of a business. The gun struck the awning in the, of the business and fell to the sidewalk. He was apprehended. The officers got the, the gun and arrested him. Where's the FBI's involvement in this at all? Uh... <laughs> I don't, I mean, right here, we see it. This is it. Just the press release. That's all it is. They adopted this case because there's a federal nexus to it because of the firearm uh, and, and good on 
the prosecutors for local and federal looking at what the sentencing would be, what would be a better route to go. But back to what you were throwing out and you and I have discussed before, what is stopping a Hartford police officer from getting some sort of federal deputization that he can then bring this case to a federal prosecutor and it can be charged because of the mandatory minimum, because it'll be a, a, a sentencing enhancement, because of the crime of violence, whatever they want to do, they can choose their own adventure, which is the better course to go. Uh, and they can avoid having the glory hogging FBI coming in and attributing the work that these Hartford PD guys did where they apprehended this guy and getting into a foot chase with a guy with a gun is dangerous work. And For the sure. FBI wasn't involved in that no. as much as they want to say project safe neighborhoods got this done. Right. It was some cop likely late second shift or third shift or, you know, depending it's a middle, I bet you it's a, a nighttime thing. I mean, I just, I think of cases similar like this where, you know, you suddenly get into a foot pursuit or your partner calls out foot pursuit, you know, Weston Maine or whatever. And then it ends up in this, or, you know, I think of, a really good friend of mine. Uh, he was one of these guys, him and I, usually when we work third shift together, we would be like the only two, you know, cause come, come three in the morning, like it gets pretty quiet. So people are back at the station doing reports, taking their lunch break or whatever. Him and I, we just like meet up or go walk the beat or take whatever random calls would come in. And this guy just would grind always like until the very end of his shift. And, and one time, like the sun is just coming up and I wasn't, I was off that day, but we watched the video and roll call the next day. And, um, he ends up getting into a, a vehicle pursuit that turns into a foot pursuit. He ends up catching the guy, like, you know, bi a big caper for him, like drugs. I want to say that I want to say there was a gun involved too. And it's like, that's like good cop work. That's really good cop work. The FBI wasn't involved in that in this in this instance and quite frankly in most you know if anything they're coming in after the fact like think of swat swat raids you've done or whatever where you do find guns or uh drugs or money or all of the above uh and that was a nexus of the case like okay yeah good for you for for now seizing like more evidence for the crime but it didn't start in that foot pursuit or or whatever uh to to even initiate this and then you just come in after the fact and it's like you know of course like this is one of the reasons fbi gets such a bad rap by by many in law enforcement at the local and state level it's all attention seeking behavior mm -hmm. they want to come in as the white knight and and say look at the the case that we made and the locals know that they didn't do that. All they did was adopt the case that had already been fully investigated, which is why the FBI gets like 98% plea deals because the case is already sewn up at that point. They aren't mm -hmm. even doing the investigation to make sure that it's so solid that the defendant is just going to plead guilty because there's no getting out of the, of the pincher that, that, that you have him in. Um, I think, I think we've beaten a dead horse enough for today. I'm sure we'll, we'll have more excursions into this um, on the uh, erroneous or the, manipulative press releases that get put out to, to seek positive attention uh, on the quality side. Now, the question then becomes, what should the FBI be doing? What, what sort of quality investigations would be a good use of $11 billion of taxpayer of taxpayer funds? Uh, I came up with a couple ideas. Um, I know you, you touched on, you wanted to touch on one. Uh, we'll let you lead off on this one because this is actually most recent. Uh, and that is the, the most recent swatting 
incident that happened uh, for Georgia Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, I know that she's she's been talking about it. Uh, Garrett, I'll, let you, I'll tee you up to this. Is, I'll pull up uh, MTG's Twitter uh, post that she had about it uh, yesterday. I was swatted this morning on Christmas Day, and a few days ago, Thursday, December 21st, received this death threat where this man is saying, I will be shot in the head and skin, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then it looks like the uh, they have not arrested this guy who made the threats. Instead, they got this really weird statement from the Capitol Police. They, they said they basically called him on the phone and were like, hey, are you going to murder MTG? And then and that was sufficient. Uh, what... Uh, What's, what's your reaction to that one, Garrett? I mean, it's garbage. It's garbage work. In her tweet, she says, I know there are good FBI agents that are completely sick and tired of the Biden administration they work under. Okay, well, one, if that's true, where are they? Why aren't they speaking out against nonsense like this? Uh, two, why are the cap... Okay, I just think of like if this was Ilhan Omar or somebody, like they, they would say, oh, now it's 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 racist uh and you know she she shared some of the screenshots of the messages and it's like there's already statutes on the books and so for me kind of what what she is getting into it it actually is more attention-seeking behavior this time on her part and it's like the statutes already exist i i i think of a case we had in kansas uh a tfo there it started before I, I arrived, but um, it um, was getting wrapped up after I got there. And it was a, a, it was a swatting case, plain and simple. And it ended up with a guy being killed. And, you know, that's a shame. And it, it uh, well, here, I have it. I have it right here. I'll pull it up. Um, California man sentenced in deadly Wichita swatting case. So. These, this guy in California, you know, eventually they got him for conspiring, but it says in, in the Wichita case, Tyler Barris entered guilty pleas to one count of making a false report resulting in a death, one count of cyber stalking and one count of conspiracy. And he took a plea for 20 years. And it at the time, and I, I think it still holds true, was the lo- longest sentence for uh, a swatting related case. So my question is to MTG, why are you getting up on your high horse talking about implementing new legislation? We don't need new legislation. We already have the legislation to handle these issues. We have federal crimes for interstate communications, where if you're making threats, which by the way, in the messages that she posted, like it's pretty clear the guy's making threats. And, you know, I've seen people arrested for less than that. Um, and just the, the grandstanding, but then the lack of, the lack of like actually seeking out the people who are doing this, like this shouldn't be happening. People shouldn't be weaponizing law enforcement against their political enemies or against their, you know, people they don't like or whatever. And it's like often like in this case, especially it's okay. You have MTG, a a Republican getting swatted probably by some very left leaning person who in reality would probably march and help burn down the police station in Minneapolis like they did a few years ago. And it's like, it's like, dude, this- I would hope that there would be a lot of resentment from the law enforcement that was used as an instrument here. They, you got one over on me. You, you sent me there and effectively risked the person's life. Might You were willing to risk my life. Who's to yeah. say that I bang on the door and this is an armed person because, you know, they have a second amendment and stuff. 
Right. And you're willing to sacrifice my life to inconvenience a congressperson who you have a policy disagreement on, which you would think would then translate to the locals uh, who are used to leaning on the Fed to say, hey, wh why aren't you addressing this? But again, they're just making a phone call and then dismissing it because it's it's just not going to get them the headline or at least... They don't. They don't think that they would rather just put out the the phony Hezbollah indictment rather mm -hmm. than say that oh we got the person who swatted a sitting congresswoman. Yeah, and there absolutely should be harsh penalties for people who do this type of thing because, like you said, it's it's putting the the people who are being swatted at risk, and it's putting the law enforcement officers who are responding at risk. And it's just like it's a, it's really another example of the lawfare that that we've seen like we were seeing it in civil and criminal cases and now we're seeing it even in this way like how many people just call the police when they have a petty grievance with their neighbor and just make stuff up but then rarely those people are ever held accountable for it like you know i i mentioned the the Kansas case well that's because law enforcement showed up to the to a false address like it wasn't even the address of the guy that they wanted to swat and you know my the details in my mind are completely fresh but they the police ended up killing somebody there and it was all based on this hoax and there's federal hoax statutes too that would probably apply and others i'm sure there are others that would apply for an agency that's willing to dig into the code book to charge people with some sort of weird money laundering thing when they're trying to bribe somebody in honduras while overseas uh, yeah. You would think that they'd be able to pull something out of the uh, of the 18 U.S. code book uh, to make it appropriate and then bring somebody to justice for wasting government resources and putting government agents at, at risk. Uh, let's let's switch over to a different one, too. I think it's worth going in. And, and before we do that, folks, uh, thanks for joining us today uh, on the Rumble. Make sure you're giving us a like and a follow there. Uh, chat's been pretty lively. I see a lot going on there. It's, it's always fun uh, to try to chime in when we can. We're still pretty new at this. I haven't grown that third eye where I can like read the chat and type and still talk and keep a train of thought going. I'm hoping to to grow this show and get proficient at it so that we can be doing all that simultaneously. Uh, but again, we we thank you all for your time on there on on Rumble. Like us, uh, follow, thumbs up, and if you're listening later on on a uh, podcast format, make sure that uh, you give us a five star review and subscribe to the channel. Uh, let's talk about another thing that I think would be worthy of the FBI's time. And this one, this one strikes pretty close to home for me because as angry as I get at the FBI, um, the, the COVID stuff gets me 10 X angrier. Um, and this is from, uh, this is a joint piece actually by a friend of ours, uh, Tracy beans. And, uh, let's see who else was it's, uh, Michelle Edwards. This was at the high wire. Uh, Japanese scientists find indisputable evidence that all COVID variants are man-made. Um, pulled out of here, it is well known the U.S. Department of Energy, the CIA, and the FBI now recognize that there are, is a possibility that COVID was created in a lab, and now there's it's conveyed in a super interesting September 15th discussion uh, with uh, a few guys who have been activists on this, that the mind-boggling published scientific conclusion by some Japanese scientists that all COVID-19 variants were intentionally manufactured, it adds a massive component to the quite technical scientific debate. Well, if that's true and there's actual, we have to trust the science, right? If there's scientific evidence, and, and we watched that video earlier 
the hype video from the FBI, there was science stuff going on. There was a person wearing a white lab coat and he had a Bunsen burner or whatever the heck that they, they were claiming. And, and they're always trying to recruit people from the scientific community. Why isn't the FBI investigating who created the Omicron variant and the Delta variant, if it indeed is true that these were all man-made? That would seem like a worthy use of the FBI's vast resources uh, when it comes to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, and not to mention the economic turmoil when they shut down people's sandwich shops, um, but left Walmart open because apparently if they have one-way aisles and they donate to enough Congress people, they could stay open. Yeah. Walmart's essential. Your liquor store is essential, uh, but your local mom and pop butcher shop, they aren't. Your local mom and pop coffee shop, they aren't. Uh, your church, they aren't. But yep, just uh, the big ones, the Target, Walmart, they can stay open because it's all this conglomerate of government mixed with with business and media. And it's it's an interesting precipice we've found ourselves on. But this COVID story is, man, it uh, it really helps. To, I get I get equally as fired up uh, as you do. The COVID stuff really pushes me to a new level of of anger because they we've known anybody who's been truly paying attention has known for years that this wasn't from a wet market in china like we were led to believe and you have anthony fauci perjuring himself countless times Rand paul was has been really good at, at holding his feet to the fire but what has happened nothing he's not really been held to account him and all the other people involved in this and then this study from Japan, like, how is this not like blasted front page everywhere? Like, where are the real journalists from CNN or Fox even coming out and saying, hey, look at this, look at this data coming from from Japan that every single variant has these traces of of man made manipulation. Or the social media companies that are being told by by people like Elvis Chan, who works for the FBI, exactly uh, that they need to not publish this information, and that's another sort of investigation that I think would be worth uh, the the bureau's time. Um, and we'll, I'll give one more example because this one hits me also close to home because it's uh, child sexual abuse material, something that uh, I was working and was taken off of to focus on January six cases. Uh, cover cover down on uh, a slightly dated a few months back uh, sound investigations exposed some things and they've continued to expose other things about Pornhub and uh, pull up this this undercover video that was done uh, with the Pornhub executive they said rapist traffickers using Pornhub loophole to make a lot of money uh, including this is this exchange that uh, the undercover journalist has with uh, uh, I can't remember what's her name it's uh, Arden Young right yep and uh, Pornhub continues to allow anyone to upload pornographic videos as long as the person uploading shows an ID, such as a driver's license. However, uh, this executive describes a major loophole. These supposedly ver verified uploaders can upload videos of people without showing their actual faces, which is very common. Uh, when sound investigations journalists asked that the rapists use Pornhub loophole, he gave a response, of course, of course. When asked about human traffickers, he said, to make money, of course. Where's the FBI on that one? Why is an undercover journalist? I mean, look, undercover journalists can bring this to light, but where's the where's the big bust on Pornhub? Right. FBI, that's a top 10 website in the country. It's right. a and, fairly sizable business. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a 
this is pessimistic of me, but here, if 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 they have a case open, they're going to drag it out for years because they have a case and the the it's the it's the dog chasing its tail. I got to keep the case open, and it's like this is one you should move as swiftly as possible on because um, our youth are our most precious resource and asset, and to destroy their little lives is the most abhorrent thing you can do. And that's what is happening on a site like Pornhub. Those are all to me. And I think you would agree. And judging from what's going on in the chat right now, uh, I think that those would be worthy investigations that would actually have a press release that I'd be happy to read and, and be happy to give them a helmet sticker for having done some good work, maybe indicting a, a Pornhub person or somebody that, you know, invented a virus that, shut down the entire world and then invented further variants of it to continue the ongoing scheme that's going on. But the FBI is not interested in that. They're interested in claiming to have indicted somebody who, I don't know, supported Hezbollah and lives in Lebanon and will never see him again, uh, which is why this attention-seeking behavior that, that they continue to put out has the conundrum. They don't have the actual quantity of cases that they claim to do, and the ones that they do are easily uh, tossed aside. And, and the quality isn't there, which is why they will continue to scream and, and holler that, look at us, look at all the good work we're doing. And Christopher Ray can go and testify in front of Congress as much as he wants, uh, but he's just not going to get the reputation of the FBI back at this point. Uh, as many hype videos as they do in retrospectives of all the work that they did for 2023. Uh, any final thoughts on this before we, uh, we, we tie a bow on it? Yeah, I do. So... I, I thought of this earlier when we were going through kind of our, our, our data package uh, ourselves of some of these stories, some of these cases. And I think um, it, it actually especially stands out more to me now at the end, having talked about MTG and, you know, trying to, yes, the swatting thing is bad, but her just, oh, I'm going to implement new legislation. It's more attention seeking behavior. And then, you know, the rest of our examples, this this passage from Psalm 52, uh, I'm just going to start in verse one and, and read uh, for a bit. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him saying, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. And that is my final thought. <laughs> always appropriate and always at an appropriate time. I always appreciate that. I know uh, no folks in the chat do. And, and we appreciate everybody in the chat, too. We've got a couple other Rumble Rants that came in. Want to make sure we acknowledge Gypsy Princess 75 said that uh, she bought Ranger panties for Christmas for her 21-year-old who enjoyed lifting weights in them yesterday. So skies out, thighs out, thighs out for uh, for Gypsy Princesses. Um, and uh, and then also, secondly, uh, Real is Rare, uh, just a, a nice, nice prayer emoji, which I think is very appropriate for the way uh, that Garrett closed us out here. Uh, folks, that's going to do us for for today, Tuesday. We'll be back with you on Thursday. Until then, enjoy your day uh, and, uh, and and go and celebrate Kwanzaa. I think that that's uh, <laughs> appropriate uh, or not. Uh, thanks again, folks, uh, and we'll see you on Thursday.
You've been listening to the voice of the Suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod.